guys. Welcome to Serial Sunday episode five. Um, sorry, I was a little late. I was having technical difficulties. I did not realize that my phone was almost dead. And so I'm not using my microphone this time because I can't use the microphone and charge my phone at the same time. Or maybe I can, I just don't know how. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I was having some technical difficulties. So there's that. Um, but this week's episode is a special request from Colin. <laughs> he said he was listening to a podcast the other day about Dean Coral, and he wanted me to do an episode on him. So that is who this week's episode is on, Dean Coral. Um, he he was he was he was a bad dude. I mean, all serial killers are bad dudes, but he was. He was just, he was just real bad. And I'm going to go ahead and throw out a disclaimer because there will be talk of, uh, rape and some other stuff along those lines. So I just wanted to throw out a disclaimer if you don't want, if that's like a trigger and you don't want to watch, fine. I understand. Um, but I just wanted to give that little, uh, warning first. Um, so, let me begin because, um, there's a new episode of The Walking Dead on tonight, and I need to watch that, so I'm gonna try to get through this as fast as I can. <laughs> so, um, he was born Dean Arnold Coral on December 24th, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, he was born Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, Santa did not bring him somebody else something else did um his mother her name was mary emma robinson and his father was arnold edwin coral um they had a really rocky marriage and they separated when dean was seven in 1946 he was the firstborn and had a younger brother named stanley their father was really strict with the boys and the mom was very like overprotective of them and their home life before their parents got divorced was extremely like tarnished from their parents always fighting and all kinds of stuff excuse me so when their parents divorced they moved to memphis tennessee with their mother um and dean was said to be a very shy child he was really timid he didn't really like have a lot of friends he didn't socialize with other children which like can we just point out that that seems like a very common occurrence with like all serial killers? Like they were shy and timid as a child, didn't really have a whole lot of friends. This just, I feel like that's just a very common occurrence with serial killers. They, none of them have any friends. Um, so when he was young, he suffered from an undiagnosed rheumatic fever um, that eventually led to a heart murmur. And there was research done on that being the cause of him turning into a serial killer. I don't know how much evidence there is to support that, but um, that was the talk. Uh, so Mary and Arnold actually attempted to reconcile their marriage in 1950, and they moved the family to Pasadena, Texas. Um, the marriage will Marriage was once again very short-lived, and they divorced in 1953. Um, their mother ended up remarrying a man named Jack West, um, and the family moved to Vid Vidor, Texas. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, in 1955, and that is when Dean's half-sister was born later that year. 
Um, so Mary and Jack ended up opening a candy company together in the garage of their home called the Pecan Prince. Uh, so Dean and his younger brother, Stanley, were given the responsibility of running the candy machines and packing product to ship off. And Jack would drive to, I think, Houston, which was where a lot of their pa their uh, product was like distributed. Um, so during this time, Dean attended Vidora High School, and he was said to be a very well-behaved student and got really good grades. So, I mean, he was smart. Um, so he graduated in the summer of 1958, and then the family moved to Houston so that they were closer to where their products um, were sold. In 1960, his mother sent him to live with his grandma in Indiana, um, and he lived there for two years. Um, he was sent there to basically take care of her. Um, she was uh, ill, and so he was sent there to take care of her. Uh, while he was there, he actually formed a close relationship with a local girl. She even proposed to him, but he rejected the proposal. He was like, eh. Um, and then he went back to Houston and moved into an apartment above um, the candy shop. Courtney, we are talking about Dean Coral. <laughs> um, so Mary and Jack actually divorced in 1963, and Mary opened a new candy business called Coral's Candy Company. Um, she made Dean the vice president, and then she made Stanley the secretary treasurer. Uh, so that same year, a teenage employee actually accused Dean of making sexual advances towards him. And so in response, Mary just fired the employee. She was like, I'm not, I'm not having this. She was like, no, my son wouldn't do that. You're fired. <laughs> Little do you know. Um, so in 1964, Dean was drafted into the United States Army and sent to Fort Polk, Louisiana for basic training. He was later assigned to Fort Benning, Georgia to train as a radio repairman. Uh, he was permanently assigned to Fort Hood, Texas. And according to official military records, his time serving was immaculate. Like he was really good at whatever they do. <laughs> so, however, he actually hated military service. He wanted nothing to do with it. Um, so he applied for a hardship discharge based on the grounds that his family needed his help with the candy company. So the army granted his request and discharged him on June 11th of 1965. He also reported, actually, no, I can't spell, I can't talk. He reportedly disclosed some information to his close friends during his time in the military that he realized he was homosexual and had experienced some of his first encounters. So, just a little foreshadowing there. So following his discharge, he returned home to Houston Heights and he resumed his position as vice president of the family candy company. Mary's ex-husband and the boy's former stepfather still ran the old business, the Pecan Prince, and the two candy businesses were in competition with one another, like, all the time. It was bad. They were back and forth, back and forth. So, Dean would increase the number of hours that he was working at the store to satisfy the high public demand for the products. The, fan the family actually ended up moving their shop to a location, which actually happened to be right across the street from an elementary school. So, I mean, like, it's probably a good place for a candy shop. Not one that Dean Coral's working at, because he's a creep, but whatever. Um, so, Dean earned the nickname the Candy Man 
again, unfortunate foreshadowing, because he would often give free candy to teenage boys and children. It's not creepy. So, in 1967, Dean befriended a 12-year-old boy named David Brooks. He was a sixth grade student, and along with many other children, he would hang out behind the candy factory. Dean actually put a pool table behind the candy factory so that um, employees and local youths could come hang out and play pool. So David began to view Dean as kind of a father figure because he would always help him out with money, um, and he was the only adult who didn't mock his appearance. I don't know what was wrong with his appearance because I've seen pictures of the kids, so I don't really know what was wrong with his appearance. Apparently, people made fun of him a lot. I'm not really sure. But David's parents were divorced, and his father lived in Houston, and his mother lived in Beaumont, which was about 85 miles away from Houston. Um, and when David was 15, he actually dropped out of high school, and he moved to Beaumont with his mother. Whenever he would come visit his dad in Houston, he would also visit Dean, and he would stay in Dean's apartment with him, which is weird. And he referred to Dean's house as like his second home or like his third home, I guess, because he had his mom's and then his dad's. So I guess his third home, but whatever. He would refer to it as like his another home, which is kind of weird. Like Dean's like 24 at this point, like, and you just like are opening your home to a 12 year old boy. Okay, that's weird. Whatever. I'm not judging. Um, so by 1968, Dean's mother, Mary, and his sister ended up moving to Colorado after her third marriage failed. She's, she's real good at the marriage thing. And the closure of Coral Candy Company. So the um, candy company actually ended up shutting down. So she often talked to him on the phone, but after she moved, after 1968, when her and his little sister moved to Colorado, he never spoke to his mom again. So since he no longer had a job, he found a job working as an electrician at the Houston Lighting and Power Company, and he would work there until his, his last day. <laughs> so it's now 1970, and dun-dun-dun, his murderous rampage is about to begin. All of his victims were between the ages of 13 and 20, which, ugh, gross. And they were primarily from, they were primarily abducted from the Houston Heights area, which was a low income neighborhood uh, northwest of downtown Houston. So most of the abductions were done by Coral himself, but sometimes he had a little bit of help from David Brooks, who would now be like 14 or 15. And then another boy who will come into play later, his name is Elmer Wayne Henley. So several of the victims were friends of either David Brooks or Henley and other victims were acquaintances of Dean's that he had made either from playing pool behind the candy shop candy shop or like handing out candy to children or anything like that and uh two of his known victims were actually employees at the candy company <laughs> great boss boss of the year award goes to him so he usually lured the victims into one of his cars he had Three cars, I think, three. Um, he would offer them like a ride home, offer them a ride to a party he was having at his place. And I mean, I guess I was a teenager once. Parties were all the rage, apparently, especially in the 70s. So I mean, like, hey, 
Somebody's offered me, I'm not going to get in the car because, well, I research serial killers, so <laughs> I'm not going to get in that car. Um, but anyway, so the cars were either he had a Ford Econoline, a Plymouth GTX, and a 1969 Chevy Corvette, which he actually bought for David Brooks. It's weird. So he would then take the boy back to his house where they would either be like force-fed alcohol, beer, whatever, um, and drugs until they passed out. They were able, like, if they passed out, then he would just put them in handcuffs. But if he was able to trick them into the handcuffs, he would do it that way too. Or he would just restrain them by force. So then he would strip them naked and tie them either to his bed or a plywood torture table that he built himself. Creep. And then after several days, he would either strangle them or shoot them. Yikes. Their bodies were then covered in plastic sheeting and then buried in one of four places, a rented boat shed, a beach on the Bolivar Peninsula, a woodland, a woodland near Lake Sam Rayburn, or a beach in Jefferson County. He's got, he's got a lot of places where he posted bodies. So, in most instances, he would force the boys to either call their parents or write a letter to their parents stating where they were and that they were okay. They were not okay. So this was to help, obviously, alleviate the parents' fears that their kid was unsafe, which is, like, terrible because they were unsafe. But he also would always keep a keepsake of some sort from his victims. And over the years, he literally moved all over, like, around Houston Heights. He stayed close to that area, but he moved around to different addresses until 1973 when he moved to Pasadena. So his first known murder was an 18-year-old college freshman named Jeffrey Conan on September 25th, 1970. He was hiking with a friend from the University of Texas, and they were, like, hiking home or something. I'm not really 100% sure. But that was his first known victim. He was dropped off alone at the corner of Westheimer Road and South Voss Road near the uptown area of Houston. And he probably, they're assuming he offered him a ride to his parents' house and instead took him to his house. He lived in an apartment at um, on Yorktown Street near the intersection of Westheimer Road at the time. And he ended up burying the body at High Island Beach under a big boulder. Um, he covered it in a layer of lime, wrapped wrapped his body, and his body was naked. He wrapped his naked body in plastic, and he was actually bound at his hands and his feet with a nylon cord. So at the time of Conan's murder, David Brooks caught Dean sexually assaulting two teenage boys. And... Like, up until this point, David had no clue what Dean was up to. Um, and at this point, Elmer Henley was not in the picture yet. Um, but in exchange for David Brooks's silence, he decided that's when he decided to buy him the car, which was the 1969 Corvette. So Dean later told um, David Brooks that he had killed the two boys that he caught him assaulting. And he offered David... $200 for each boy he could lure to his apartment. That's just twisted. Who does that? So, 
On December 13, 1970, Brooks lured four, or two 14-year-old boys named James Glass and Danny Yates to Dean's apartment. Um, he, he met them or found them at a local religious rally. Both of the boys were tied to his torture board and raped, strangled, and buried in the boat shed he had rented on November 15th. Um, on January 30th, 1971, Brooks and Coral found two teenage brothers, Donald and Jerry Waldrop. They were walking alone. I cannot English. They were walking alone toward their parents' home, and both boys were somehow enticed into Coral's van and then raped, tortured, strangled, and buried in the boat shed. It's, I'm, this is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> so between March and May of 1971, Dean and Brooks abducted and killed three more victims who were all buried in the boat shed. How big is this boat shed? <laughs> I want to know. How big is it? So one of the victims was 15-year-old Randall Harvey, who was last seen riding his bike towards Oak Forest, um, where he worked at a gas station part-time. He was found with a single gunshot wound to the head. The other two victims were 13-year-old David Hillegist, I'm not really sure how Francis last name, and 16-year-old Gregory Winkle. They were abducted and killed together on May 29th of 1971. Can we just point out, why did everybody think that the 70s was such a great time? The 70s was like when all of the serial killers were active. And I always say that I want to go back to the 70s. Let's not. Let's just stop. So, um, so Henley, Coral's soon-to-be other accomplice, was going around town hanging up flyers for these missing boys, helping the parents and, like, offering to, or he was, like, offering his help. He was, like I said, hanging up the rewards posters and stuff, and he had no idea what was going on or what was about to go on. So, on August 17, 1971, Coral and Brooks abducted a 17-year-old acquaintance of Brooks named, excuse me, named Reuben Haney, walking home from the movie theater. He was able to get him into the car by telling him that they were going to a party at Coral's house. And Haney was, er, what? Yeah, Reuben Haney. Sorry. <laughs> I got his name and then Henley's name mixed up, so I was a little confused there for a second. But anyway, he was strangled and buried in the boat shed. Again, how big is this boat shed? In September of 1971, He's just moving right along every month. He's got, he's just moving right along. Um, so he moved into another apartment and he killed two more young boys with um, Brooks's help. And this was all still before Henley's involvement. But now we're getting into his involvement. So in the winter of 1971, Brooks introduced Henley to Coral. He was lured there by, um, or actually as a potential victim, but Coral decided he would make a good accomplice. So he offered him the same fee, $200 per boy that he could lure to his apartment. And he told Henley that he was involved in a white slavery ring that operated out of Dallas. Not true. So Henley initially ignored Coral's offer, but about 19, early 1972, he accepted the offer because his like his reasoning was that his family was in dire financial circumstances. I mean, whatever you got to do what you got to do, I get, but let's not do that. So the first abduction he participated in was in February of 1972. He, um, 
they picked up the boy at the corner of 11th Street and Studewood Street, and they lured him to Coral's apartment with the promise of smoking marijuana. And they were able to trick the boy into handcuffs, and then Coral bound and gagged him. So at that point, Henley was like, I'm out, peace. So he left the boy with Coral under the impression that he was going to be sold into the sex slavery ring and the identity of this victim's remains are still unknown. They never did identify that boy who was killed. Um, on March 24th, 1972, Henley Brooks and Coral lured an 18 year old acquaintance of Henley's into the car with the promise of drinking beer and smoking marijuana at Coral's apartment. You know, the good stuff. <laughs> Not really, but anyway, um, so Coral and Brooks bound and gagged the boy, and Henley later stated he did not know of the true intentions of Coral when he lured the boy into the car. However, he did assist in burying the body. You, you're not suspicious at this point? You're not like, I'm out. Peace. I don't want nothing to do with this. No? Okay, cool. Um, so despite now knowing the truth behind these abductions, Henley just continued to help. I'm like, why not? That's messed up. So messed up. Okay, back on track. <laughs> on April 20th, 1972, he assisted Coral and Brooks in the abduction of 17-year-old Mark Scott. Scott was actually a friend of Brooks and Henley's, and he, while they were trying to abduct him, he fought like crazy. He even stabbed um, Dean at one point with a knife, and then Coral, or Dean, finally pulled out a gun. The kid gave up. He was then tied to the torture board, raped, tortured, strangled, yada, yada, yada. He was buried at High Island Beach. According to Brooks, Henley was, like, extremely sadistic when it came to his participation in the killings. Um, around June of, 17, of 1972, <laughs> I have a little dyslexia there, um, Henley assisted in the abduction and murder of two more boys, Billy Balch and Johnny DeLome. And Brooks stated that Henley manually strangled Balch and then yelled, Hey, Johnny, and shot DeLome, the other kid, in the forehead. So the bullet actually exited through his ear, but it didn't kill him. And the boy, like, pleaded with Henley, like, please do not do this. Why are you doing this? And then Henley strangled him. So, like, I wasn't, I'm not really sure who was the worst one in this scenario. Like, not sure. So, Coral now lived in a house on Schuler Street. I think I pronounced that right. And while, while they were there, the three of them lured a 19-year-old to the house and tied him to the torture board, tortured and abused him. And Brooks convinced Coral to set him free. And the boy was allowed to leave but at one point um brooks entered the home and henley and coral were there and i guess henley knocked him out when he got when he came into the house henley knocked him out for some reason and coral then tied him to his bed and sexually assaulted david brooks and despite all this he still helped with the abductions and murders i would have been like nah i'm turning your ass in peace but nope he still helped so then Coral moved again to an apartment on West or at Westcott Towers. And while he was there, he killed two more victims. 
17-year-old Stephen Sickman, who was savagely beaten in the chest with a blunt object before then being strangled and buried in the boat shed. He's got like 10 bodies in this boat shed at this point, if not more. Like, how big is this boat shed? I need to know. <laughs> so the next victim was 19-year-old Roy Bunton. He was shot twice in the head, buried in the boat shed. And then in October of 1972, Henley and Brooks lured two teenagers to Coral's apartment. The victims were Wally Simono, I am not sure how to pronounce that, um, and Richard Hembry. Hembry was accidentally shot in the mouth by Henley, and then both boys were strangled to death, and they were both buried inside the boat shed. This boat shed is so full of dead bodies. So, the following month, an 18-year-old boy from Oak Forest named Willard Branch was where did I I lost my space my spot <laughs> um he was killed and buried in the boat shed then on November 15th a 19 year old boy from Houston Heights named Richard Kepner was killed and this time buried at High Island Beach so it's now January of 1973 and Coral moved again to an address on Worth Road in a different district of Houston this time while he was here, he killed 17-year-old Joseph Lyles, um, and both Brooks and Henley were friends of Lyles. So, fast forward to March 7th, Coral moved to an address in Pasadena that his father had actually vacated. His father moved out of this house and just left it, and so Dean ended up um, moving there, and he that's where he stayed. And that was 2020 Lamar Drive. So between February 1st and June 4th of 1973, there were no known victims. Uh, he reportedly, Coral reportedly suffered from a hydrocell, hydrocele, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it is a an accumulation of fluid in a body cavity, and in this case, it was his testicles. <laughs> oh my God, I did not just say that on a live video. Anyway, moving on. So this is believed to be the cause of his inactivity. However, later in June, he started up again, and this time worse than ever. Um, Henley and Brooks both described it as a bloodlust, saying that his rate of killings increased dramatically and the brutality of the murders escalated like crazy. Um, so Brooks and Henley stated that they knew when Coral was going to announce he needed a new boy because he would get super restless. He would like smoke a bunch of cigarettes and he would like just like yell and just get super angry. Like he would just get super antsy and like restless. So June 4th, Henley and Coral abducted William Lawrence. He was a 15 year old boy. He was last seen by his father and he was abused and tortured for three days before being strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Two weeks later, they abducted 20-year-old Raymond Blackburn, strangled him, and buried him at Lake Sam Rayburn. I have no idea what my dogs are doing. <laughs> um, five days later, 17-year-old John Sellers of Orange County was bound, shot to death, and buried at Highland Beach. So, in July of 1973, Brooks actually ended up getting married. So, at that point... Hey! Quit! Um, so at that point, Henley was Coral's only, uh, he was the only one helping him get boys at that point. 
So between July 19th or July 19th and July 25th, Henley helped Coral abduct and murder three more victims from the Houston Heights area. There was victim number one, who was 15-year-old Michael Balch. He was actually the brother to Billy Balch. Um, he was strangled and buried at Lake Sa at Lake Sam Rayburn. Uh, victims two and three were Charles Cobble and Marty Jones. They were abducted together and strangled, or they were abducted together and killed on July 25th. Henley then buried both of them in the boat shed. Again, how big is this boat shed? It's got to be huge. So, on August 3rd, 1973, Coral killed a 13-year-old boy from South Houston named James Dramala. Not sure how to pronounce that. He was tied to the torture board, raped, tortured, strangled, and then buried in the boat shed. And Brooks and Henley both assisted on that one. Um, so, Brooks was like, um, yeah, you know, married life's going well. Hang on. Gotta go help kill a boy real quick. Be right back. Um, so, on the evening of August 7th, Henley was now 17. He invited 19-year-old Timothy Curley to attend a party at Coral's Pasadena house. And Brooks was not present at this time. They apparently sniffed paint fumes and drank alcohol until midnight. Then they left to go get food. Excuse me. Henley and Curley drove back to Houston Heights and ended up picking up a friend of Henley's named Rhonda Williams. She was 15. She had been beaten up by her drunken father and, like, I guess Henley overheard the commotion and he ended up like going in and getting her out of there. And so he took both of them back to Coral's house. So they got back reportedly around like 3 a.m. And Coral was furious that Henley brought a girl to his house. Henley told him what happened, that she was like beaten by her father and she had and he had to get her out of there. So he apparently calmed down. And then he offered them some beer and marijuana. And after about three hours of that, they all passed out. So Henley woke up on his stomach and Coral was attaching handcuffs to his wrists. His mouth was taped shut and his ankles were bound together. So Curly and Williams were next to him, also bound and gagged. Curly was naked. That was the boy. The boy was Curly. Um... Coral was apparently still mad that Henley brought a girl to his apartment or to his house. And when he noticed that Henley was awake now, he told him that this was his punishment. He was yelling, I'm going to kill you or quote, I'm going to kill you. But first I'm going to have my fun. It's creepy. So he repeatedly kicked Williams in the stomach and like repeatedly and had assaulted and tortured Curly. Uh, so when Henley tried to intervene, Coral picked him up, took him to the kitchen, and held a gun at him. Henley was somehow able to calm him down and try to persuade him that if he released him, he would help with the torture and murder. Coral was like, you know what, okay, you've been a good accomplice up until this point. So he agreed, let Henley go. They then carried Curly and Williams into the bedroom and tied them to opposite sides of the torture board. So Coral gave... Um, Henley a hunting knife and told him to cut off Williams's clothes. So Williams was the girl. He told him that while he did his thing to Curly, the boy, Henley could do the same to Williams, the girl. By this point, Williams and Curly had both woken up and they're pleading with Henley. Like they're friends with they're friends with Henley, so they're pleading to him to stop. They're like, "Are you going to do anything about this? Is this for real?" Um, so Henley ended up asking if he could take 
Williams to another room and Coral didn't answer. So Henley ended up grabbing his pistol and yelled, you've gone far enough, Dean. Yeah, sorry, quote, you've gone far enough, Dean. I can't go any longer. I can't have you kill all my friends. So Coral scrambled off of Curly and he walked towards Henley yelling, quote, you won't do it. And then Henley shot him. Henley fired at Coral's head, but the bullet did not penetrate his skull. And so he fired two more shots. Uh, one hit him in the shoulder, and I'm not sure where the other one hit. But Coral then was like, all right, I'm out. So he tried to run out of the room, but Henley shot him three more times, hitting him twice in the lower back and once in his shoulder. So he was dead. Um, he was literally completely naked, and he was lying dead on the floor in the hallway. So then at that point, Henley released Curly and Williams, and he was like, I got to call 911. I don't know what to do. So he calls 911, and he just blurts out, I just killed a man. So the police arrive, and Henley just word vomited everything out, told him everything. And the police were initially skeptical until they searched Dean's home. So in his house, they found, this is where it's going to get a little insane. So in Dean's house, they found the torture board, which was eight foot by three foot with handcuffs attached to nylon rope at two of the corners and just rope on the other two corners. They also found hunting knives, rolls of clear plastic, excuse me, um, several sexual related toys and thin glass tubes and lots of ropes. I'm not sure what the thin glass tubes were used for, but pretty sure I don't want to know. So Coral's Ford Econoline van was parked in the driveway and they also searched that. Um, it had opaque blue curtains over all the windows. Uh, there was rope, carpet covered in stains, a wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides. The pegboard walls of the van were rigged with like hooks and rings. Like he was clearly like hanging them up in there or something. I don't even want, I don't even want to know. They also found another crate with the air holes drilled into it, uh, that had several strands of human hair in it, which is like, uh, um, so then they began to search for the victims and Henley led them to the boat shed where they found a stolen car, a child's bike, a large iron drum, water containers, two sacks of limes, of limes. <laughs> yeah, he just had two sacks of limes in there, you know. No, he had two sacks of lime and a large bag of boys' clothing. So like, that's not suspicious. Um... Brooks initially denied having any involvement in the abductions, murders, burials, anything. Um, but on August 9th, Henley ended up giving a written statement detailing all of his involvement and all of uh, Brooks's involvement. And Henley also took them, like once they went to the boat shed, Henley also took them to uh, Lake Sam Rayburn, where they found several more bodies. And Brooks finally did confess to his part in the abductions and burials but he denied having anything to do with the actual killing. So now we are to their trials. Um, their trials didn't last long. There was a lot of evidence against both of them, plus Henley's written confession, which pretty much was just like, yeah, book them. Um, so they were tried separately. Henley's trial began in San Antonio on July 1st of 1974. He was charged with six murders between March 1972 and July 1973. They literally had 82 pieces of evidence throughout the trial. That's a lot of evidence. Like, you're just, you're screwed, dude. Um, 
So Henley was found guilty and sentenced to six 99-year sentences, which totaled 594 years. So, like, even if you come back as a ghosty ghost, you still going to be in prison. You ain't going nowhere. So Brooks went to trial on February 27th. He was indicted with, or he went to trial on February 27th, 1975. Forgot to put the year in there. Um, he was indicted with four murders between December 1970 and June 1973. However, he was only brought to trial on one murder. So he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Um, Henley is actually serving his life term at the Mark W. Michael unit in Anderson County, Texas. He is 65 years old. Um, and Brooks served his life sentence at the, and I said serve because, hold on. Um, at the Terrell unit near Rocheron, 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 probably Rocheron, Texas. Um, so Brooks actually ended up dying at a Galveston hospital on May 28th, 2020. Guess what he died of? <laughs> it said his death was COVID related, which I just think is kind of funny. Like, not that he died of like, not that he died, obviously, but I think it's kind of funny that he did all of these terrible things. And then he gets taken out during the pandemic. Like, sucka. Um, so he was 65 when he died. Um, Dean was... Dean was young. He was 30-some? Hang on, let me get my calculator out because I don't know how to do the maths. So he was... He died in 1973 and he was born in 1939. So he was 34. He was pretty young. Um... I do have some pictures here. My phone doesn't die before I can show you. But I do have some pictures here of everybody. Um, so this was Dean. Um, that was like the best picture I could find of him. All the other ones were like, they weren't even anything. Um, so this is a picture of um, David Brooks and Elmer Henley. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that one is Elmer and that one is David, but I could be wrong. Um, but they were helping search for victims in that photo. Um, this is a photo, this is a photo of all of the victims that they were able to, um, actually prove and find the remains of. Um, this is a more recent picture of Elmer Wayne Henley. And then this is the, if it'll let me zoom in. This was the mugshot of David Brooks. So, yeah. Oh, and this is what this is what David Brooks looked like as an adult. Um, so yeah, that was a crazy, crazy story. Um, all of my information came from either Wikipedia, Murderpedia, um, Biography.com. I don't remember any other websites that I used. I don't think I used it anymore. Um, but yeah, that was the story of Dean Coral. He was one sick dude. Um, trust me, there was more gnarly info on him that I didn't. I just was like, you know what? <laughs> we don't have to scar people for life on my live videos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely more uh, gruesome info on him if you want to check it out yourself um but yeah that was the story of dean coral uh so 
Um, hopefully this episode will be up on, um, if you haven't been following me on Facebook and stuff, um, my, this show is on Spotify now. It is also on a couple other, um, platforms, which I am just super excited about. Um, it's still so crazy to me. It's so surreal. I cannot believe that like I'm on Spotify. Um, but hopefully this episode will be up on Spotify soon. I also have a Facebook page for Serial Sunday, and I also have a Instagram page for Serial Sunday, which I will update um, every time I do an episode. Um, but even though I still, even though I'm like this show is going on Spotify now and other platforms, I'm gonna still continue to do the lives because I like sitting down and talking to you guys, I like you guys being able to see me. Um, but them being like pulling the audio from them and putting them on um, other platforms is, makes it a little easier for people to listen to, like, if they're driving, you know, um, so I'm gonna continue to do the lives, um, because they're fun, and I like to do them, so, yeah, if you want to listen to me talk, not sure why anybody wanted to do that, but apparently a bunch of you do, and I'm so excited, and it makes me so happy, um, but yeah, if you want to listen to more um definitely go check out serial sunday on spotify it is also on google podcasts um it hasn't hit apple music yet um or apple podcasts yet um but i know that it is on a couple more platforms i posted the links on facebook um so yeah um i don't have anybody in mind for next sunday i will have to put my thinking cap on and think about who i want to talk about um but yeah, leave me some recommendations, anybody you want to hear about, and I will definitely do an episode on them, but um, it's almost time for the new episode of The Walking Dead, so I gotta hop off here and go watch. So, um, I love you all, and I am so, so, so thankful for all of you, um, and I will see you all next Sunday.